Welcome again to Atlanta Discourse. I'm still your boy, your moderator, your anchor, whatever you want to call me. My name still remains Ade Balogun. Today we have another very juicy topic, something that might interest all of you, that has to do with what is happening in the continent of Africa. And that topic remains, is the Western world encouraging coup d'etat and dictatorship in the continent of Africa? So we're going to look empirically at this topic, what's really happening, are these schools coincident, are they induced, are they Western induced, foreign influence induced, colonially induced, depends on which parameter and yardstick you want to use. So as you know, here at Atlantic Discourse, we embrace humanity to disseminate positive news in a world filled with very bad news. We give a voice to the unheard always, we balance the information equation, we discuss the facts wherever it leads to, we combine the best of all races to get the best out of mankind. We serve as a bridge between the developing and the developed world. We embrace art, sports, politics, IT, and faith-based issues. We never run away from the facts. That's what we do here at Atlantic Discourse, and we always go for the juggler. So the topic remains, is the Western world supporting military coup d'etat and dictatorship in Africa? Clearly, we all know that Africa has a lot of leaders have been there for God knows how long. So we're going to break it into four key segments we have one origin of coups in africa number two colonial indulgence of dictators and coups in africa that's number two number three will be the resurgence of coup in the west african subcontinent and the islamic fundamentalism you know they, they seem related in some ways so that's number three the fourth and final one will be the western involvement and and what they are doing is there an expectation or just what it is so Let's, let's kick the ground running. As you know, this Atlanta Discourse, we're also on Nido Radio 24-7, and uh, that's what we are. That's what we do. So let's kick the ground running. We're going to look at history of coup d'etat in Africa. The coup, which is the first military coup in Africa, started on the night of the 23rd of July, 1952, and lasted until the 28th of the same month, when a new leader was sworn in. The coup was initially slated by the three officers to start on the 2nd or 3rd of August, but was hastened after the official leader, Mohamed Naguib, gained knowledge on the 19th of July that King Farouk, who they wanted to house, had acquired a list of the dissenting officers and was set to arrest them. The officers thus decided to launch a preemptive strike, or should we say a preemptive coup, but I'll say preemptive strike after finalizing their plans. They began their coup on the night of the 22nd of July, 1952. This was in Egypt. The toppling itself took two days. By the 25th, the army had occupied Alexandra, where the king was in residence at the Montaza Palace. Terrified King Farouk fled the palace because when the, the, the guys approached you know, to kill him or take over the government. The former king's departure into exile came on 26th of July, 1952. And at 6 o'clock that evening, he set sail for Italy with protection from the Egyptian uh, army. And on the 28th of July, 1953, Mohamed Naguib became the first president of Egypt, which marked the beginning of modern Egyptian uh, governance, you know. So that was the first coup. The coup was conducted by less than 100 officers, almost all of which were drawn from junior ranks and prompted scenes of celebration in streets by a cheering mob. Though initially focused on grievances against King Farouk, the movement had more wide-ranging political ambition in the first three years of the revolution. The free officers redistributed land, tried politicians for corruption, and abolished the constitutional monarchy and aristocracy of Egypt and Sudan. Established a republic, 
ended the British occupation of the country and secured the independence of Sudan. The early successes of the revolution encouraged numerous other nationalist movements in other Arab and African countries, such as Algeria, where there were anti-imperialist and anti-colonial rebellions, rebellions against the European empire. So it also inspired the topping of existing pro-Western monarchies and governments in the region and continent. The anniversary of the revolution is commemorated on Revolution Day, an annual public holiday in Egypt on the 23rd of July every year. So that was the first military coup in Africa. The first military coup in sub-Saharan Africa was on 13th January 1963. The first uh, coup yeah, sub in sub-Saharan Africa, that was January 13, 1963. Togo's first president, Silvanus Olympio, was killed outside the U.S. Embassy in Togo, capital Lumen, while fleeing from angry soldiers led by Emmanuel Bojole and Etienne Eyadema, who were conducting a coup d'etat. Olympio is remembered as the first African president to be assassinated in a military coup. The coup, which is remembered as the first successful coup in sub-Saharan Africa, began on the 13th of January 1963 in the wee hours of the morning with shooting heard throughout the capital city of Lome, that's the capital of Togo, as the military attempted to arrest Olympio and his cabinet. Before dawn, Olympio body was discovered by the American ambassador Leon B. Pulada, three feet from the door of the U.S. Embassy. His body was taken inside the embassy and later picked up by his family. The Togolese coup of 1963 was the first coup d'etat in French and British colony in Africa that achieved independence in the 50s and 60s. And Olympio is remembered as the first president to be assassinated during a military coup in Africa. So during the coup, most of his cabinet were arrested, but the interior minister and information minister were able to escape to the public of Daome, now Benin Republic. The reason given by the, by the coup plotters you know, in the radio broadcast were economic problems, typical of all cool leaders, a failing economy. However, analysts often contend that the main root of the coup were the disgruntled ex-French soldiers who were unable to gain um, employment because Olympio kept the military small. Listen to that. However, analysts often contend that the main root of the coup were the disgruntled ex-French French foreigners, you know, who were unable to gain employment because of Olympio kept the military small. I mean, it was a French colony anyway. So after independence, the French presence was was not really uh, strategic as it was. So they had to come in. So it's fair to say that that coup against uh, Olympio was uh, French-induced. Apparently, when Togolese soldiers who had been serving in the French army returned to Togo, he refused to expand Togo's military force of 250 to accommodate them. But Jolie and Ayadema were prominent members of the returnees who later went on to plot the first successful military coup in sub-Saharan Africa. In the immediate aftermath of events in Togo, Ghana was implicated in the coup d'etat and assassination, but no evidence was gathered to support this allegation. After the coup, the military leaders quickly recalled exiled political leaders Nicolas Grunitsky, that's Olympio's brother-in-law and political rival, Antoine Merchi to take over Togo's leadership. They both ruled the country until 1967 when their government was deposed in another bloodless coup organized by Yadema. That's uh, Nasingbe Yadema, the late former president of Togo who ruled for a very long time, almost uh, 40 something years. I think 38, yeah. So Yadema overthrew them on the, on, uh, on the fourth anniversary of Olympio's assassination. So exactly four years after Olympio was assassinated, uh, Nasingbe Yadema plotted another coup. So, coup d'etat in Africa generally, in Africa generally, we have a there, 
We can say there was an average of 25 coup d'etat taking place on African soil every decade from the 60s to the 90s. But this number generally reduced at the turn of the 21st uh, century when many African states embraced democracy, organized elections, acceded to international human rights law and other international norms and principles. However, in the past decade, unconstitutional regime changes and constitutional crises have gradually crept, crept into the African political sphere, occurring in Madagascar, Côte d'Ivoire, Togo, Mali, Guinea-Bissau, Mauritania, and most recently Guinea. In 2014, the African Union Peace and Security Council noted that African coup mostly originated from deficiencies in government, greed, selfishness, mismanagement, over diversity. Yeah, clearly, I agree with that. Failures to seize opportunities, marginalization, human rights violation, unwilling to accept electoral defeat, quality of electoral process, manipulation of constitution, and their revision through unconstitutional means to serve a narrow interest and corruption. That's so after straight to the point. So you all know that. Aside from the reason given by the AU above, the following factors are also associated with coup. Military officers, personal grievances, economic decline, domestic and political crisis, contagion from other regional coup, ethnic factionalism, supporting foreign government, supporting foreign government, leader inexperience, slow growth, commodity price shocks, and poverty. So that's that. The origin of coup. So we can see clearly that the reason why we have all these schools in Africa are not limited to just one thing. You know, there, there are so many, so many things. The officers, military officers, personal grievance, economic decline, domestic political crisis, sometimes justified. But at the end of the day, when these guys come into power, they, they go, they do exactly what they criticize the person they overthrow to have done. So clearly, it's, it's not been a good thing for Africa. But let's look at the statistics. I mean, for example, in, in the whole of Africa, out of the 54 countries, you know, the 14 nations have had military coups, 14 have had no coups at all. So, and I'm going to break coups into three different strata. We have successful coup, attempted coup, plotted coup, and alleged coup. In successful coups, we've had 84 in the, in the continent of Africa, 21 attempted coup, 35 plotted coup, 47 alleged. So, if, for example, we want to break it down, I'll use the Nigerian scenario. Let me look at all the coups that are taking place in Nigeria to just to break it down. For example, in 1962, uh, what Enauro and uh, SG Koku and Ayadebanjo uh, did, that's what you call uh, a plot. You know, that's a plot. That was not an attempted coup, you know. So, what Iziogu did in January and the Northern Retaliation coup, that was a successful coup. The Muritala coup to overthrow Gowon, that was a successful coup. The Dimka coup was an attempted coup. The Buhari coup of 83 was a successful coup. The, there was an unspecified coup in 1984, that was a plot, you know. So, the Babangida coup to overthrow Buhari, that was a successful coup. The Vastak coup was a plot. So, uh, Oka coup was an attempted coup, of course, because it wasn't successful. The Jerabacha coup was a successful coup. Obasanjo Yaradua, the Abacha led them at the time, was a plot, was a plotted coup. So, Adisa Di Alarewaju also in 1997 was plotted. The Amza Mustafa, there were two that involved Mustafa in 2004. All those ones fall under the plotted coup. So, that's just to give you an idea of difference between a successful, attempted, and uh, you know, and a plotted coup. So, 84 successful coup in the continent, 121 attempted coup, 35 plotted coup, and 47 
alleged coup in all. So, top when you look at countries that really had coup, Burkina Faso is number one on the on the ladder. You know, they've had ten 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 coups in all. Nigeria is followed. Nigeria has eight coups. We have uh, Burundi, Chad, Ghana, Sudan, Comoros, and Mauritius. Mauritius, Mauritania. Sorry, I the, the similar in pronunciation. They have six. Uh, Ethiopia, Libya, Sierra Leone, Benin, Central African Republic have five. So we we can go on and on. Almost all those countries have had one 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 level of coup or the other. But we can look at more details on coup because. It's not been too good for Africa. We're just known for a lot of these people that come in as a military leader end up, you know, turning the tide and becoming democratic leader. A coup d'état, like I said, can also be known as a posh, a coup, overthrow, golpe, the estado, depending on which language, you know. So it's a situation where the military or the elites of a state take it upon themselves to take over power illegally from the government. In such situations, there are four possible outcomes. These outcomes are failed coup. Like I said, the leader is ousted, but the regime stays the same. A dictatorship is removed and a democratic government installed, or a dictatorship switched with another. Coups have been present for a long time in Africa, particularly West Africa. It's no strange to these bloody affairs. In total, Africa experienced at least 200 coups. Yeah, based on the calculation, 84 successful coup, 121 attempted coup, 35 floated, 47 elect cumulatively, well over 200 in all. So now the African country topping the list with most schools is none other than Burkina Faso. I've just said that I haven't gone through 10 coups attempt in the past. Nigeria and African economic powers is the second position after experiencing eight attempts. Burundi, Chad, Ghana, Sudan, Comoros and Mauritania come in third with six attempts. Very ludicrous. In fourth place, Ethiopia, Libya, Sierra Leone, Benin, and the Central African Republic all have five attempts in the past. There have been a total of 40 African nations that have had coups. That's out of 54. So only 14 have never had coups because there are 54 countries in Africa in all. But Burkina Faso is a very serious case. Six of the 10 coups happened in the 80s with Blaise Kapare leading, uh, leading the two of the six. So after taking power in 1987, Kampare will reign for 27 years until, unsurprisingly, was removed from the from power by another coup. So there's an there's an argument to be made that Burkina Faso is not a democratic state. This argument is supported by the fact that there has never been a peaceful transfer of authority in the country through election. A similar situation is in Guinea-Bissau, where no president has ever been has ever seen out his term because of coup plots. So. Whatever the story the group leading the coup tells you, coups are bloody and a nasty affair. For example, after the military removed Robert Mugabe of Zimbabwe from power, they said they were quelling tensions in the city after the vice president was relieved of his duties. Others had called coups insurrection. An excess of 30 presidents and prime ministers have lost their lives due to coups. Out of the 40 nations that have seen coups, there are only three countries. Where the, of, of what I'm trying to say, there are only three countries where they have been unsuccessful. These countries are Kenya, Morocco, and Cameroon. The remaining 14 of the 54 recognized African states that have not had a coup have also had bloody problems of their own. For example, South Sudan and Eritrea have had internal strife. Another interesting fact is that 23 of the 40 countries have at least three coups attempt. So, well, coups have been decreasing compared to the 70s, 80s, and yeah, but right now it has been decreasing because in recent times the number of coup attempts have decreased around the world 
due to the embracement of democratic form of leadership. More people have realized that they are it is detrimental to the economic growth of a nation and therefore more effort is put towards ensuring that they do not happen in any way. Furthermore, group leading a coup rarely live up to the expectations. So most of them, if not, end up as dictators. So it's better to be democratic than have a military dictatorship. We've all seen that. Seychelles, Rwanda and Kenya, uh, Gabon are the ones we just want one coup attempt with. So that's... Uh, for the Africa, we can we can also look at that because if we look at the statistics, let's just go country to country. You know, let me see. We all already know that Burkina Faso has ten coups, Nigeria has eight, Burundi six, Chad six, Comoros six, Ghana six. Uh, who else is there? Ghana, uh, Mauritania six, Sudan six coups, Benin Republic five, Ethiopia five, Libya five, Sierra Leone five. So. We have Congo, Guinea-Bissau, Lesotho, and Niger, and Uganda having four coups each. Algeria, Egypt, Madagascar, Mali, and Congo Democratic all have three coups each. Equatorial Guinea, Gambia, Guinea, Liberia, Morocco, Satome, Somalia, South Africa, Togo, Tunisia, and Zimbabwe have had two coup attempts. Uh, Cameroon has one, Côte d'Ivoire one, Guinea one, Kenya one, Rwanda one. So, based on my initial analysis of successful, attempted, plotted, and alleged coup, all this, all, what I just read are, are those that are coups that have been successful. So, because if you look at Côte d'Ivoire, they've had uh, episode of unsuccessful coups, they've had attempted and plotted coups. So, but here, we only have one successful coup for Ivory Coast. So, we can go on and on. So, let's go to the second phase. Let's look at the colonial indulgence of dictators and coups. I mean, we all know that during the Cold World era, the, the Western world, you know, they, 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 they played with everybody, everything bad from Africa, which includes but not limited to Mobutu of Zaire, Idi Amin of uh, Uganda, uh, Emperor Bedel Bokassa, you know, who had extremely terrible reputation, not just as leaders, but as human beings, they humanized their people. And they, they actually did a, a lot, you know. To, to destroy. Everybody knows, for example, the man named Joseph Desire Mobutu, who later changed his name to Mobutu Seseseko Kukumbendu Wazabanga, Emperor of Lubimbashi. I'm sure you're all laughing. Yeah, that's why he called his name. And Congo Zaire, I mean Congo Kinshasa, which is the Democratic Republic of Congo today, has, is yet to recover from whatever Mobutu did to that country. I don't know of any resources known to man that that country doesn't have. But they've never known peace. Since the death of Lumumba, they've been from one form of violence, war, mayhem, brigandage, call it whatever. It's just been an unstable country, which are effects of uh, colonial rule. If you look at any map of Europe, I'm sure you can't even see Belgium that colonized them. But we all know the role Belgium has played, you know, France has played in this. But majorly, the the, the direct influence on, on whatever is happening in Congo DR, it's uh, colonially induced. So they indulged Mobutu, even though he was doing horrible things. And we all know why it happened there. It was because of the Cold War. The West will indulge and cohabit with any leader, you know, so long they don't want them tilted to communist Russia. That's why people like Idi Amin could get away. And you can see in history also that the moment the Cold War ended, the West dumped Idi Amin. I mean, sorry, they dumped uh, Mobutu. The almighty Mobutu Sesseko, they dumped him. They didn't sell arms to him again. And it was, uh, Kabila just pounced on him like mincemeat. So most of these leaders should also know that they used and dumped them. Today we have Pobia in Cameroon. Pobia took over. He was Prime Minister to Amadou Aiju of, uh, of Cameroon. 
Aijo died. Constitutionally, the Prime Minister who was uh, Paul Bia sustituted him. I think that was in 81 or 82, I'm not too sure. 81. Until then, Paul Bia is there. Paul Bia spent six to nine months in a calendar year in an hotel in, I think, Zurich, you know, and is never at home. But because of the support of Western government, majorly mobile and one of these, uh, some of these multinational, because it's giving them a free reign. Cameroon is the country where you have the speaker, the Senate president, being octogenarian. They're all very old and spent people. So it's not looking to, the colonial indulgence is there. Even though the Cold War is over, where people like Mobutu have been dumb, but there are still people, you know, if you go to Gabon, the uh, Ali Bongo, who succeeded his father, Omar Bongo, is still in, in, in indulged by the by the French government because the French wants to have a total grip of uh, of Francophone Africa. So there's all there's there's almost a dictatorship in all Francophone uh, countries in the, in the in the subregion. So that, that that's there's a lot of worry there that what's really happening? Why why is the French doing it? But they want to have a continuous grip. On it. So that's colonialist at its help. If you come to Nigeria, for example, Nigeria has its own shortcomings too. Uh, Northern Nigeria, which seems to have the political strong, stronghold over the country, with the people the British uh, handed over power to at independence. So it is clear, um, I mean, we can easily say that most of these things were colonially induced, you know. I mean, in, in Gabon, there was an attempted coup in uh, 2019, you know. But the, the graphic shows coup attempts are a common part of the political life throughout Africa. It has become something of a popular trope in the media to point out that uh, attempted and successful coup in Africa has been less frequent since the end of the Cold War. But as this detailed data that we've all been seeing shows, coups are only slightly less common and successful post-1991. I mean, so we all know that since 1991, they have not, but we still have it. But we're going to look at why there's a resurgence in West Africa very soon. So that means that there must be something inherent in African political geopolitics that makes government more susceptible to violence, extrajudicial power transition. No doubt, at least, part of the reason is that more so than those of the other continents in the world. So why is it rampant in Africa? The borders. African countries inherited from their colonizers do what the borders African country inherited from their colonizers do not conform with the various ethnic and tribal groups that inhabit them. Politics in Africa are often ad hoc and transactional as a result. A constant give and take between factions seeking to preserve their own power by force because they cannot rule effectively through the ballot box or trust the intentions of their fellow countrymen. So Nigeria is a fantastic example of that. Look at Ivory Coast is a fantastic example of that. Those in Northern Ivory Coast, Boake and the rest, do not trust people in the lower. In Northern Nigeria, they love Muslims. In Southern Nigeria, they love Christian. Same thing, Ivory Coast. Zimbabwe might be a little different because there are only two ethnic groups in Zaire. Either you are Shona or Indebele. Unlike Nigeria, that has 250 uh, ethnic nationalities. Kenya, Kenya, I think, is the next to Nigeria. They have about 40-plus ethnic nationality. But the diversity in Nigeria, which is Africa's most populous country, the largest concentration of black people anywhere. So there is a, a bit more lopsided and difficult. In Togo, it's not too... I think they're about four or six. So, But they're not a very large country. But the family of Ayadema still rule. So, But that can't be the only reason. Perhaps the most striking observation that can be made from this map of Africa is how certain countries like Namibia, South Africa, and Botswana historically have been so less prone to coup attempts compared with other regions of Africa. Africa is, after all, an immense and diverse continent, but that immensity and diversity can easily get lost 
in the lazy lumping of, of the continent into, a sim into simple categories like North Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa. These are all colonialist appellations. So Africa is not beset with cool so much as schools are prevalent in particular regions or countries. So in that sense, the graphic display of the map that, that we always look at it does not really illustrate a fundamental aspect of political life in Africa, but it also serves as a useful starting point for asking deeper questions about why the continent has developed the way it has. One that doesn't allow for armchair optimism that Africa has somehow become a more peaceful and politically stable continent since 1991. Or for generalization that don't hold up to closer scrutiny. Sometimes a picture is worth a thousand words, and sometimes a map leads to a thousand questions. That's a fantastic definition of what Africa is. But having said that, so those are the areas the colonialists have, have, have more or less messed it up. It's not fair, let me add that, it's not fair to say, I mean, for Nigeria, for example, having been independent for 61 years, it's not fair to still blame issues on colonialism, even though we know those problems are there. So let us look at the resurgence of coup in, in West Africa. It's another area where we have to look at because a lot has happened, you know, lately in Guinea, Mali. So what's really happening? So Africa is a, is a continent with 54 countries, but there's been a resurgence of coup. So in, in West Africa, which is what I want to take as the focal point, within the past one year, for example, violence has uh, apparently been the mechanism of enthroning non-democratic transfer of power in, in, in West Africa. Guinea, Mali twice in the past 13 months, and Chad seen new leaders, you know, rise from their respective militaries. The West African post-colonial history has been fractured by coups, but after Nigeria, the regional powerhouse moved from military to civilian rule in 1999, there was a strong sense that the days of military coup were indeed over. During the president of Chief Olusia Gombasanjo, Nigeria was actively, I was diplomatically involved, with, you know, diplomatically, I have to say, against coup. West Africa Regional Bloc, the Economic Community of West African State, strongly condemned coup as well as imposed regional sanctions until they were reversed. The regional strings of coup in Mali in August 2020, May 2021, Chad in April 2021, and Guinea recently in September 2021 have sovereign implications on instability in a region already beset by growing security threats. Once the precedent of a coup as a is seen as a viable means to gain power takes hold, what is to stop others? That's the precedent we're talking about. So countries in the sub-regions are dangerously teetering on the precipice of uh, democratic backpedaling if what has happened in, in Mali, Guinea most recently, and Chad are allowed to, you know, to, to be permanent. While the actions of the coupies are outright undemocratic, retrogressive and unacceptable act, uh, attitude of the sit-tight and capricious tendencies of some leaders unwittingly provide a fatal avenue for these copies to fester and inflict serious damage on the weak democratic institution obtainable in most of the countries. I mean, look at what happened in Guinea. People were celebrating because uh, Afa Kondi, you know, gave himself a third time through a constitutional meet, which people saw as illegal. He, he detained people, maltreated people. So by the time uh, the coup took place, people, people welcomed it just just like most schools in Africa, they're always popular. Not all, but the one in Guinea was very popular among the people. In Guinea, Mali, and Chad, heads of state removed from office as a joint dubious legitimacy. In Guinea, President Alpha Conde had been elected to a total in a questionable and perhaps unconstitutional circumstances. You know? So in Chad, Idris Dabi had been all but president for life until he was killed by rebels. 
and thereafter succeeded by his son in an extra constitutional process. In Mali, the bout of instability dates from the 212 coup against the longtime political strongman Amadou Toure. Current Malian interim president Asimi Gota, a military colonel, in June removed the country's interim head of state less than a year after Gota initiated a coup against President Ibrahim Boubacar Keita and installed himself as interim vice president. French President Emmanuel Macron aptly criticized the most recent Mali coup as a coup within a coup. Well, he's still there. <laughs> In the three countries, the ruling elite uh, largely separate or isolate from the people they ostensibly lead. The commoners are widely under siege with challenges to government orderliness ranging from uh, immiserating poverty, insecurity, economic mishap, and to the dire consequences of climate change. In the most recent wave of coups, transfers of powers have tended to be within ruling cliques, a personnel reshuffling largely without social consequences or betterment for ordinary citizens. They are characterized by anti-corruption rhetoric and a little change in behavior by those newly in charge. With the rare exception of Ghana's 1979 coup, which brought Jerry Rollins to power, coups have not been a vehicle for social revolution in power. Military coups in Africa have a terrible track record for the well-being of citizens. With Guinea, a curious case in point, Colonel Lansana Conte took power in 1984 via a military coup. He then oversaw more than two decades of repressive rule characterized by human rights abuses and misgovernance. Following Conte's death in 2008, Captain Musa Dadis Kamara led a military coup that plunged, the Guinea, that plunged Guinea into further instability. Notoriously, during a protest against Kamara's rule in 2009, security forces killed at least 150 protesters and dehumanized many others at the national stadium in the capital city, Conakry. So, these expenses of forceful military rule have left Guineans traumatized, impoverished, and economically isolated. In the early post-colonial decades, when coups were rampant, African coup leaders virtually always offered the same reason for toppling government, corrupting, corruption, mismanagement, poverty. While they may sound <laughs> these cliches, these justifications still resonate with many Africans today for the simple reason they continue to accurately depict the worsening reality of their country. So, when it comes to poverty, an already tragic situation has been worsened by the battering African fragile economy you know, so we can say this: one in three people are now unemployed in Nigeria. That's the West Africa's largest economy. The same goes for South Africa, the most industrialized African nation. It is now estimated that the number of extremely poor people in Sub-Saharan Africa has crossed the 500 million mark, half of the 1 billion population. So these conditions create the motivation for coups and also encourage the increasingly desperate young Africans who have lost faith in their corrupt leaders to welcome coupists promising radical changes. This was witnessed on the street of Guinea following the takeover with some elated Guineans, you know, praising the soldiers that overthrew the government. The leaders of Guinea's recent coup, Colonel Mamadi Dumbuya, echoed this justification, citing poverty and endemic corruption as a reason for overthrowing the 83-year-old Alpha Conde. The soldiers who led the coup in neighboring Mali last year claimed theft and bad governance prompting their action. Likewise, the Sudanese and the Zimbabwean general who toppled Omar Bashir in 2019 and Mugabe in 2017 respectively held on to similar argument. It is disturbing, however, as this power graph threatening the reversal of the democratic uh, the democratization process Africa has undergone in the last two decades and a return to the dark era where bloody coups are the norm. 
So my focus is still on uh, West Africa, you know, where there have been a resurgence of food. So you can see that it's, it's really a bad situation. So according to a study by an African political think tank, the Sub-Saharan Africa expressed 80 successful coup and one red and eight failed coup attempt between 1956 and 2001, an average of four years. This figure after the period from then until 2019, as most African nations turn to democracy, only for it to once again be rearing its ugly head again in the West African sub-region. Truth is, the initial jubilation on the street are usually short-lived. You know, it's uh, it's very soon the people will be demanding action. So let's see how soon Dumbuya's honeymoon will last with his people. And there is serious doubt that the military will be able to deliver on the expectation basic service delivery, economic prosperity, dividend of good government, and all which, you know, fair, top of government failed to provide. What is indisputable is the fact that this coup posed a serious threat to the democratic gains African countries have made in recent decades, and there is the increasing probability that the coups may also make the sub-region in general less predictable, less predictable and stable. A negative factor for investors that could also worsen the early economic situation. So there's no stability. Worrying still, some researchers have shown that many Africans are increasingly losing confidence in the fact that elections can produce the leaders of their dream. Surveys conducted across 19 African countries in 2019 and 2020 show just 4 in 10 respondents, that's 42%, now believe elections work well to reflect voters' view, to enable voters to remove non-performing leaders. In other words, fewer than half of the respondents believe election will guarantee representative and accountability and key ingredient of functional democracy. Across 11 countries, polled regularly since 2008, the belief of the election you know, enablers voters remove non-performing leaders has dropped by 11% in among citizens. According to the survey, it is, it is not that Africans no longer want to choose their leaders via election. It is simply that many electorates now believe their political system are being manipulated. Leaders like the Deposponde of Guinea are part of the problem. The only reason he was still in power to the coup was because he engineered a constitutional change in 2020 to enable him serve as an inordinate third-term president, a common practice by several leaders on the continent, from Uganda to Museveni to Alassane Ouattara of, of Okodewa. Ouattara, who, who's coming to power, was because General Gwe was trying to do the same thing. He's now almost replicating what Gwe failed to do there. So, rising to to the ugly trend, ECOWAS West African Regional Power Block has imposed sanctions on the junta in Guinea and those slowing down uh, uh, Mali's post-coup transition. So, in its toughest response yet to the run of military takeovers, the move was agreed at an emergency summit in Accra in response to the push in Guinea and the perceived slow progress towards constitutional rule in Mali, I mean, following the coup. So, what are we going to do about it? I don't know. So the outrage is there, people are complaining. So what's 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 the way forward? I mean, you know. So is the Western government involved? Yes, the Western world is, is they clearly involved. It's just been it's just been noise, 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 you know. We're not I mean ECOWAS, even though with all the ECOWAS sanctions, can ECOWAS really do anything in Guinea? Because if you look at the leadership in Nigeria, I mean, even they have had issues with the election. You understand? So those facts are there. So I mean, delivering his speech at the 76th session of United Nations General Assembly in New York, the United States of America, President of Nigeria, you know, which I use as an example, Muhammad Obuari, used the opportunity to sound a note of warning that the democratic gains of the past decade in West African sub region are now being eroded due to these negative trends. 
Buhari therefore urged, you know, world leaders to reject coups, especially in West Africa. He decried the recent trend of constitutional takeover of power, which he said will not be tolerated, you know, by the international community. I mean, he can only speak for himself or maybe the sub-region. He also urged the international community to deal with the symptoms of conflict, as well as the immediate causes that fell conflict in the first place. He further affirmed that Nigeria's support to, 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 to give ECOWAS some traction, the AU and the United Nations, it's not yielding the required dividend. According to him, leaders of uh, individual member states need to adhere to the constitutional provision of their country. These are countries that don't even pay their dues. So how do you really want to enforce this thing? You know, Africa is, uh, is uh, I don't know. The dereliction of both ECOWAS and the international community to enforce the, the due democratic process when Kone was seeking an illegal total was part of what led to the becoming in Guinea. Now look at that. If a dictator was trying to stay put in power, we use Paul B as example. Konde has succeeded. Museveni is doing it. Uh, who else is there? In, in, uh, in Gabon, uh, from Omabongo to Alibongo. Nobody, was good. Nobody gets away with these things without the involvement of the West. There's always also Western inducement. If you look at the resurgence of Islamic fundamentalism in Africa, all the arms they use are clearly Western induced. So it does look to me that Anybody that comes in as is ready to do the bidding of the West will always be in power. So, Western involvement is clearly there. Even when you get into power without the, without the bidding of the West, if you are ready to do their bidding, they'll probably allow you to be there. Because why, why would a Bongo still be president of, uh, of, uh, of Gabon? Why would a Pobia still be president of uh, Cameroon, if if I mean it won't happen in America, it won't happen in France, it will not happen in in, in Germany. So these issues are there. I mean, a Yadema who ruled for God knows how long after killing Olympio in the first coup in Sub-Sahara was succeeded by son Farrell, who, who was still there. So these things are it, it does suit the purpose of the West. I don't think, and I don't think the the the, the West really wants growth for Africa. The Chinese are in big time. The West have always been there. Everybody's just milking the resources of, of, of Mother Africa. And unfortunately, do we have to really blame the world? We, we, they are just expecting us for who, who we are because there's greed among the people. There's avarice among the people. A lot of patriotic leaders. So we blame it on colonialism also. Yes, there's Western influence, but then we as a people, I've never done anything right. So the regional body should keep this lesson in mind when future incumbents attempt to circumvent the time limit. So long you you spend your time and you get out of there and allow somebody else to continue, the chances that a coup will happen and will stop blaming it on colonialism. Colonialism will always have a grip on African politics, whether the party, in, the person in power is a democratic ruler or not. The Western world will always want to have a say in what is happening, whether the leader or the coup plotter is a, is a, is a military person, or, or rather, let me put it this way, whether the president of any African country is democratically elected or he came in through a coup d'etat there will always be Western influence because Africa as a continent, the poorest in the world, cannot do anything without the West. And all of a sudden, the China, because we're overwhelmingly indebted to them. So they, they have a stake. They borrowed us money. We have refused to go. Oh, there's so much corruption in the land. While colonialism and Western world has played a lot of negative role, but we have a big chunk of the blame 
to think. So that's my bit today. And like I said, is the Western world encouraging coups and dictatorship in Africa? Yes, they are. But then the, the, the problem is really us. We are the problem and we need to do something about it. So this is Atlanta Discuss on Nido Radio. I'm still your boy, Ade Balogo. I'll be back here next week for another juicy topic. Take care and God bless you all. Have a nice day. <laughs>